for our uh, series in 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, then please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, then just stick up your hand and one of our stewards will bring you one. It's going to be page 1188 in the church Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're starting from verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen, this is God's word. Well, how often is it as Christians that we feel weak? When faced with our big enemies of the world, the flesh, the devil, we often feel weak, powerless, out of depth. How can I fight sin? How can I stand against the devil's lies and not give in? How can I be the holy person that God has called me to be? After this, we often feel a sense of guilt as Paul was talking about this morning. I'm not worthy to come to church. I'm not good enough to be called a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. So we let that guilt paralyze us and cripple us. If I can't overcome sin, then why bother fighting? If I'm so powerless, then why do I pretend otherwise? Well, tonight I want us to take heart, to hear the message that God is bigger He's better, he's more powerful, he's more gracious, he's more kind, and he's more for us than we could ever imagine. The God who flung stars into space is on our side. So let's jump into our passage and see what we mean. Just look down again at verse 23 with me. Our first point is thinking about everyone will be sanctified. Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Paul has spent the last few verses in this section talking about how we should act. How we should act towards each other, how we should act towards God, how we should act towards our leaders. And tonight he starts off this section with a prayer. And just notice a few things with me about this prayer. Firstly, he's praying to a God of peace. God is not someone who enjoys turmoil or chaos, especially not in the lives of his people. He's a God of order. He wants us, his people, to be living wholeheartedly for him. Not with split loyalties, not with divided hearts, but with wholehearted devotion. Secondly, he's asking God to sanctify the church. And this is just one part of the glorious good news of the gospel. This is exactly the hope we need when we feel powerless and weak in the face of our sinfulness. 
Paul asked the God of heaven, who with mere words spoke the infinite complexities of life into being, who with mere words keeps the world spinning, the sun shining, and in Scotland, the rain pouring. This is the God Paul prays to, who with his right hand rescues his people and defeats their enemies. This is the God Paul asked to sanctify the church, his people. You see, when we strive to become more like Jesus, we don't do it alone. God is working in us by his spirit, through his word, to make us more like Jesus. God is working in us by his spirit, through his word, to make us more like Jesus. Can we defeat sin on our own? No, of course not. Does that mean that we should just give up in hopelessness? No, absolutely not. You see, the failure in the face of sin should drive us to our knees to call out to God for help. God, please help me love my wife and children better. God, help me to stop looking at things on the internet I shouldn't be. God, help me to stop being ashamed of you at work, at university, at school. God, help me to become more like Jesus. Thirdly, Paul asks for the whole person to be sanctified, the whole body. Not just our thoughts, but also our actions. Not just our actions, but our inner will and our desires. Because becoming more like Jesus isn't just something outwardly. It isn't measured in our performance of Christian activity or church commitment. It isn't measured in the length of your prayer or the size of your Bible. It's about hating sin. It's about deep down believing and thinking that sin is vile and it's wanting to live out a life that reflects the gospel. Because if we just focus on our actions, on the outward things, then we might be hiding a heart of stone that isn't moved by the gospel at all. Or maybe deep down we do want to serve Jesus. We want to live for him. But our actions and our words speak little of the gospel because in our thoughts, we're ashamed of Jesus. And that is why Paul wants the people in this church to be wholly transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Not partial sanctification. This isn't sanctification done in half measures. This is the whole body being transformed to be wholly like Jesus. Fourthly, notice that Paul wants, to be trans- wants us to be transformed now but knows that in the end, we will be blameless. A few weeks ago, we thought about uh, Jesus and his second coming and death, and that even in death and even through judgment, even in that darkest hour, as Christians, we can have hope. We can have hope that we will live forever with Jesus, with perfect bodies, with perfect character, in a perfect place. And Paul prays that this will be true for the church in Thessalonica. Paul knows that this life, in this life, sin's going to be a battle. We're going to need the full armor of God to keep fighting the good fight, to persevere until the end. But he also knows that when Jesus comes again, we're going to be found to be blameless. That as we trust in what Jesus has done on the cross... God is not going to see sin-stained rags, but he's going to see the blood-washed linen of his son. Paul wants the church to be kept by God 
so that the blameworthy, the guilty, could be seen as blameless. So that the sinner would be seen as righteous. And it's good for us to stand back and think, is this what we pray for? When you pray for your friends or your family or your church family, what are you asking God for? It's tempting to pray, isn't it, that our loved ones would have a really easy life, that they'd be comfortable, that you know, maybe after many years of a life of health and wealth and prosperity, they die peacefully. But look at what Paul prays. He prays for sanctification. He prays for their perseverance. Do we pray that our brothers and sisters would keep going till the end? Do we pray that as they go through the hardships, the difficulties, the suffering of this life, do we pray that they would become more like Jesus? Do we pray that on that last day, our church family would be found to be blameless? Well, look down at verse 24, and Paul gives us a great hope. He says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. All of Paul's prayer in this section is deeply rooted in the very character of God. A bit earlier, we just thought about how amazing it is that this God is at work in us. And Paul here wants to remind us that not only is God all-powerful, but he is faithful. He will do it. Is this not good news? We started thinking about how you know, we're powerless in front of sin. And how often when we commit the same sins over and over, we feel guilty and ashamed. We feel unmotivated. Well, take heart. God promises to change you. The God who has never broken a promise promises to change you. And not just a little bit, but your whole self. Listen to these words from 1 Kings. It says, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promises. Or from Numbers 23, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? You might be sat here tonight and you feel like you're stuck in a cycle of sin, in the midst of an addiction, and be thinking, will I ever break free? How can I be possibly kept blameless for the day that Jesus comes again? Here is how. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. God is faithful even in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And not just grace, but the real power to change. The real promise of change. To those despairing in the cycle of sin, then don't look inwards, but look up. Look to the faithful God of change. Now at this point, I don't want you to go away with wrong thinking. Paul isn't saying here what we really need to do is just let go and let God. We don't need to take the hands off our lives, off the wheel of our lives, and hope that God will pick up the pieces after our car crash. No. We need to be active. 
Kevin DeYoung has a really helpful section uh, on fighting sin in his book, Whole in Our Holiness. And I'd highly recommend it. It's a great book to do with friends. And in it, he says this about when it comes to fighting sin. God is the agent in our sanctification. He is the one making us holy, but we must pursue what is God's gift to us. When it comes to killing sin, we don't wait passively for the miracle of sin killing to be worked on us. Rather, we act the miracle. We act the miracle. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, he's the one who's going to change us, but he does use us. He doesn't bypass our faculties. We don't just wake up one day slightly more a mature Christian than yesterday, even though we've put no effort in. God uses our effort in the miracle of making us more like Jesus. I think if we combined everything that Paul said in this letter about becoming more like Jesus, about being sanctified, it'd say something like this. God is faithful, and he is working in you. Therefore, get up and make every effort to be more like Jesus. Well, we've thought about how everyone will be sanctified. Now, our second point is everyone needs prayer. Just look down at verse 25 in our passage tonight. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. So this is written by Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, commissioned by Jesus himself, and he's saying that he isn't above prayer. Rather, he always asks the churches that he's writing to for prayer. I think it's very easy when we read about Paul in Acts and in, the, in his letters to think he's some kind of superman, that what he did was so unbelievable, so unattainable, that what hope can we have of ever doing anything similar? Well, it's right to say Paul was different. He was an apostle. But the means that Paul uses are the same that we have. They're ordinary means. Paul was just a Christian man with the word of God and a faith that said that that word would do the work. And as an ordinary Christian man, on an ordinary Christian life, he needed prayer. Paul shows his apostolic humbleness. He desires the prayers of his people. He's completely dependent on God. He's completely dependent on God's strength working through him. He doesn't think he's above prayer. He doesn't think he has it all sorted. He realizes that he needs God's power. In Colossians 1 that we're studying with our young adults, Paul talks about how he strenuously contends with all the energy that Christ works so powerfully in him. Paul doesn't pull rank. Rather, he models humble dependency on someone greater than himself. And that should be a massive challenge to us here. Firstly, do we have that same humbleness? Do we find it easy to pray for other people, to hear about their sin and their struggles and about how hard their life is, but find it difficult to open up? When we have to accept our weaknesses, when we have to ask for prayer, are all our prayer points in growth groups or at young adults, are they all surface level and vague? Or are we prepared to put up our hands and say, I don't have this sword. I need prayer. I need God to work in me. Secondly, do we pray for our leaders? 
Liam spoke uh, more extensively about this a few weeks ago, but I think tonight's a good reminder. Do we pray regularly for the elders, for the pastoral team, for the deacons? Let me tell you, as a member of the pastoral team, we don't have it sorted. We are not above prayer. We need God. We need prayer as much as anybody. Remember, prayer is a humble expression of our dependence on a sovereign God. Prayer makes absolute sense. Why are we trying to go it alone and pretend to be strong when we could just call on the one who is the very definition of strength? Why do we let our sin and our troubles overtake us when as we've been learning in the morning from Hebrews, we have a great high priest sat at the right hand of God who's ready to intercede, who's able to empathize and is willing to forgive? See, Paul prioritizes prayer. He starts his letter by telling the church how he's praying for them. And he finishes his letter by praying for them and by asking prayer himself. Everyone needs God. Everyone needs prayer. Well, thirdly, everyone needs love and everyone needs to listen to the word. Look down again at verse 26 with me. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul wants the church uh, to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now a lot of ink uh, has been spilt about this phrase. What does it mean? Does he mean that we should kiss everyone on the way in or the way out? Should we have a section of the service where we stop and just kind of kiss each other? What does he mean by kiss? On the lips? On the cheek? What about a holy kiss? Is that that somehow different? Well, I think what Paul wants, whatever he, he meant by a holy kiss, I think it was just a physical expression of the love and unity we should have as a church family. Paul's desire is for people to love one another in a physically and culturally sensitive way. So for some countries, that might be a kiss on the cheek. It might be a strong and firm handshake. It might be those kind of one of those cringe Christian side hugs. Or it might be a high five. I don't think Paul is being picky about what we do. Just that we make every effort to show that we love one another. Our lives should be so intimately involved that we just want to express our love to our brothers and sisters, to our fellow family members. It should just be a natural part of our church family life. How weird would it be to look at a family and see that they never hugged each other, or they never cried together, they never put an arm around the shoulder of each other? We are a family in Jesus, and we should act like one. Well, not only do we need to love each other through our actions, but also through our words, and especially God's word. Just look again at verse 27. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Paul is using really strong language here, kind of law court language. And it's the same language uh, used in Matthew 26 when the high priest charges Jesus uh, under oath. See, Paul knows that people hearing the word of God is of first importance. And that's why he uses such strong and sharp language. He puts them under oath to read it to all the people. 
And to fulfill this oath, they need to speak the word. Paul makes it abundantly clear that all the brothers and sisters need to hear the word. It's not just a few of them. This word isn't just for the elders and the pastors. It's for everyone. Everyone needs to hear this message. And I think we can take the impetus and the urgency that Paul has and apply it to ourselves. How important do we think it is that as a church, we center everything on the word? Do we see the privileged position we are in this country to have such vast amounts of choice when it comes to reading God's word? Do we have the sense of urgency that people need to hear this message of Jesus? Well, maybe you're here tonight and you aren't a Christian. And you're wondering, why is this word so important? Why do they keep mentioning the Bible? What does the Bible have to say that I should listen to it? Well, let me tell you briefly that it says that you need Jesus. That you haven't lived a perfect life. That you can't stand before a holy God and think you're good enough. It says that the only thing that can save you is Jesus. And what he did on the cross when he paid the price for our sin the bible says you need jesus and you need him now just last sunday i had a phone call from my father back home and he was ringing to tell me the sad news that a family friend had died this man wasn't ill he hadn't been in particularly bad health he wasn't old he just turned uh, 50 but he died in the night very suddenly without warning, without signals. And in that phone call, I just felt the weight of the task we have to tell people about Jesus and tell them now. If you're here tonight and you don't know this Jesus, then after this, come and talk to me. I'll come and talk to Chris, who is leading the service. I'll come to the front here. There'll be people who will happily talk to you and share this good news of Jesus with you. Well, let's conclude. Well, this is our final talk, as we already said, in 1 Thessalonians. So one thing I want to encourage you when you get back home or sometime in this next week is why not look back over the whole letter? Maybe read the whole letter from start to finish or look back on the notes that you've made and just think about three or four really concrete ways that you've been challenged by this letter and pray through them. Maybe meet up with someone and talk about how you've been challenged and pray with them. Two central themes throughout this book are God's word, and the maturity that we all need to push on to as Christians. And these two themes go hand in hand. You see, it's as we listen to the word, it's as we study the word, it's as we pray through the word, it's as we sing the word, it's as we memorize the word, that we grasp more and more the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus, the depths of his grace, the height of his love, and the awesome power at work in us to make us more like Jesus. Please don't leave here feeling downcast and guilt-ridden. The God of the gospel, the God who didn't even hold his own son back, is at work in you. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let's pray together.